You know, I was talking to a gentleman last week, and we were talking a little bit about this sermon series, and he said, you know, this faith thing is it's hard. You know, I used to just hear it as, I believe in God, and that was good, and I have faith in God, and that was good, but he goes, you started unpacking it, and you keep using this word trust. He goes, it's just hard to trust God in all the areas, especially the areas we've been talking about. It's hard. And yet this whole idea of faith, right, is it's trusting God and his promises that he makes. And trust only is trust when you act on it, right? It's an actionable word. Faith is an action word. And so, again, if I trust the chair is going to hold me up, I'll go and I'll sit on the chair. If I don't trust it, I'm not going to act on it. And so what we believe, what we have faith in, what we trust is essential and integral to the way we respond through life, whether we trust the Lord in a real way or not. And this thing, again, we're going to talk about another one of these aspects of faith, and we're going to talk about this idea of obedience today and how that figures in or factors into this area of faith in our life. And it's just, it's, it's another one of those difficult things. But again, it comes down to the question, do you trust God that he loves you, that he's trying to work good in your life, that he cares about you, that he has a plan for you? It comes down to this idea of trust. And so as we dig into this, one day the Roman army officer came to Jesus and says, man, I have a servant who's really struggling. He's really Ill, ill. In fact, he's paralyzed and he's suffering in bed. And Jesus says, well, I'll, I'll go to your house and I'll heal him. And he said, oh, no, no. The Roman centurion responded and said, oh, Lord, you don't need to do that. I, I understand authority. And I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But I, I know this obedience and authority thing. I, I'm a captain in the army. If I give commands to my soldiers, they obey immediately. If I give commands to my servants, they obey me immediately. They do whatever I tell them to do. I understand this authority and this obedience thing. So Jesus, you don't need to come to my house, but if you would, if you would just say a word from right here, I'm sure he'll be healed instantaneously. And Jesus looked at the man in response to that, and he said this, this is the greatest faith I've ever seen in Israel. I know you've heard that story before or maybe heard parts of that story before, but have you ever asked why that was such great faith? And part of it is this guy wouldn't put Jesus in a box, right? Jesus didn't need to be there. He didn't need to lay hands on him. He didn't need to put oil on him. He didn't need to, you know, just be even in the vicinity. He could just pray a prayer or have it be said and it would be done, right? He knew Jesus was powerful. He refused to put him in a box. But I think the other thing you understand is that faith and obedience, they're, they're connected. They're interconnected. For if you trust someone, you will do what they ask you to do. When you don't do what somebody asks you to do, it's because there's some distrust simmering somewhere in between. Just in a simple example, mom calls you to dinner. You either trust that she really, really means it, you need to go, or you thought, well, maybe she's just kind of saying that, and I can give it another five minutes watching TV, you know? Is mom really serious or is she not serious? There's an element of distrust. But God, as you look through Scripture, has linked faith and obedience together so that all the promises that God has made, given to us out of his grace, out of his love for us, are conditioned upon you following the directions that he gave you. Some of that is just the direction of repentance. Some is the direction of trust. Notice in Deuteronomy 5, verse 33, it says, Follow all the directions the Lord has given you. Then life will go well for you. There's an if, and then there's a then. God has made some incredible promises all the way through Scripture in regards to this area of obedience. And he gets very, very specific about it. In fact, there were so many promises about obedience in God's Word, I couldn't list them all, but I listed a bunch for you in your notes today. I just picked a few of them. Notice what God says in promises if we obey him. It says, God blesses those who obey him. 
God saves those who obey him. God watches over those who obey him. The Lord takes care of those who obey him. And on and on it goes. In other words, obedience is often the premise behind all of the promises that God has given us. Now, and let me just clarify in case I've muddied this up a little bit. God gives to us all these promises that we have in our life that we find in Scripture by grace. Nobody is twisting God's arm. Nobody is making him be nice to us. He legitimately cares and loves us. And he wants and desires good things for us. And half the time, the premise is just trust me in this. and It'll be done. Sometimes he says, follow me. And that requires some effort. But God has made all these incredible promises in his word and they're given to us by obeying God's word, his command. So I'm, I got a quick, just kind of a, a quiz this morning. It's just raise your hand if you feel one or the other. It's just a three-question test, and I just want to go through this a little bit to set this up. Number one question, do you think that following God's directions, do you think that obeying God is a good idea or a bad idea? Show of hands, who thinks it's a good idea to follow God's directions and commands? Okay, how many think it's a bad idea? Show of hands, okay. <laughs> no, okay, good. You got, all got that one right. That's actually what God's word says. Okay, second question. Do you think it is a smart or dumb idea to disobey something God's told you to do? Okay, to disobey something God's told you, is it a smart idea, show of hands, to disobey something God told you to do? And then, for the rest of you, those who think it's a dumb idea to disobey something God's told you, okay, most of you got that one right, okay. The last question, okay, this is a little bit tricky. When you don't understand something that God tells you to do, so you're confused about his command. You don't understand his command. Will it be more beneficial to you if you do it anyway or if you do what you think is best? God gives you a command, you're not understanding it. Is it more beneficial if you do what God says you, you should do anyway? Do what you think is best. You got that one right too. Most of you guys just nailed this, this whole thing, okay? So if we all believe that to be true, then it becomes a matter of trust, doesn't it? It simply becomes a matter of trust. And the big question, at least in this case, becomes, will I be blessed by obeying what God has said to do even when I don't understand it? The answer is absolutely. For obedience is always a demonstration of faith. It shows what it is that you believe in. Obedience is the thing that unlocks all the keys to the God's blessings in your life. And because God wants to reward you, I don't want you to miss this as your pastor. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit today. What does this idea of obedience have to do with this area of faith in our life? As we go to Scripture, God gives us at least three things about this area of obedience. And one of the first things he says is when God says something, if the quiz is right and we all believe this to be true, God says you need to obey immediately. You don't delay, you don't wait, you don't procrastinate, you just do it. There's references all over Scripture about this, but in Psalm 119.32, the psalmist writes these words. He says this, I will quickly obey your commands. Without delay, I hurry to obey your commands. You know, I don't know about you, but I read that and I marvel at the psalmist. Reminds me of Abraham. God's testing Abraham to see who he loves the most. And so he commands Abraham to go and sacrifice his only son. Only time in all scripture God asks him to do something this crazy. But it says in scripture, the very next day in the morning, Abraham gets up with the wood and his son and heads on off. There's no delay at all. The next morning, he gets up and do, does the unimaginable, the unthinkable. He didn't understand. He just trusted what he knew about God, that he was for him and not against him. And he obeyed immediately. All the way through Scripture, you find guys like this psalmist that just, they, God says something, they just go do it. And I marvel at that because 
sometimes I, he, I know he's calling me to do stuff, and I waffle, or, or I, I dilly-dally, or I, you, know, I, you don't probably use that word very much, but I did in my sermon. So you dilly-dally, and you, you procrastinate. But God calls us to obey immediately. In fact, if there's any time in life that you should probably hurry, it's when God tells you to do something. Don't delay on that. And you obey God, he says, immediately, whether you feel like it or not. I think that's a big one for our society today. We like to, if our feelings become truth instead of using God's truth as truth. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you understand it or not, just do it immediately. Because you don't have to understand something to benefit from it, right? Uh, to be honest, I don't understand how planes work. They, they seem way too heavy. I, I don't understand how they lift off. And yet every time, I've flown quite a bit in my life, every time I've gotten on a plane, somehow we make it off the ground, and, and then we come right back down, you know, in land. It's a crazy thing. I don't understand how my iPhone works, to be honest, at all. But I love that I get email on it. I, I really do. I, I don't understand internal combustion, but I've been driving a car for years. The reality is that you don't have to understand something always to enjoy it or to benefit from it. You just have to trust the one making the promise. You don't have to have God's understanding and God's commands in order to obey them, to benefit from them. You just have to trust the author of those commands. Let me see if I can give you a, a more practical way of thinking about this. Every parent knows that when you tell a kid sometimes to do something, they will ask the fated question, why? Why in the world should I have to do this? And you say, the famous quote from every parent, because I said so. In fact, just out of curiosity, how many of you have not had a parent tell you because I said so? Just show of hands, have not had a parent? Okay, so we all recognize it. I want to let you know, but behind those five words, the parent is actually saying this. Maybe not in these little terms, but something similar. Because your little pea brain isn't big enough to understand it, one day you'll understand real reality. But right now you just have to trust me. I know better than you. And I'm doing this for your own good. And so I need you to do it. See, all that is behind the words, because I said so. And yet sometimes with God, we get going along in life and he calls us to do something and we say, why? I don't like this. This is hard. And he says, because I said so. Because I know more than you. Because I don't owe you explanation. Because one day you're going to understand everything. And right now I just need you to trust me in this. And I need you to do it. If you can take a step back, too, from the situation where you cry out to God, why in the world are you having me go through this or walk down this path? If you can just take a step back from the moment, it's a pretty audacious thing to question the creator of the universe, right? To question the one who sent his own son to die for you. To question his motivation in your life, his care for your life, his love. I had a buddy one time say, what if I don't have a good attitude? about following God. Should I still obey? Do I still have to obey? I said, God says yes. He says, you're telling me to obey God even with a bad attitude. I said, God says yes. He said, why? He says, far better than the alternative, which is disobedience. Let me see if I can flesh this out too. As a parent, you tell your kid, kids, I want you to clean your room, but you don't have to clean your room until you're excited about it. <laughs> when is that room going to be cleaned? Never, never, ever. And so sometimes you just do stuff in spite of. Mature people do the right thing in spite of their feelings because they know the feelings will come. You do the right thing because you know it's the right things and you count on the fact that the feelings will catch up. And so here's a principle. In the Bible, anytime God gives a stated command without a specific date, like on the first day of the week you should do this, he means do it now. 
Let me give you an example. At home, when Beth says that dinner's at 6 o'clock, she means that dinner's at 6 o'clock. If she says dinner is at 5.30, she means it starts at 5.30. If she says come to dinner, she means now. She doesn't mean in five minutes or ten minutes. She means now. And she can get quite enthusiastic if you don't come now. So our whole family is working at this time at becoming much more immediate in our obedience because we love mom, because we cherish what she does. Because when we delay obedience, it's just another word for disobedience. And when we delay obedience with God, it just means that we're questioning God. God, do you really know what's best in my life? I know you said this in the Bible, but do you really know what's best? I mean, this doesn't look like it's the best. Do you really have what's best for me in mind as you ask me to do this? Surely you didn't mean me when I said that. It's not just kids that do this. Adults do this all the time. And yet if you want the blessings of God, all the ones that I just read and the more that are in Scripture, if you want those in your life, you must obey God immediately when he tells you to do something, to follow the instructions. Because again, delayed obedience is just another word for disobedience. And then he goes on in Scripture, and there's another thing as he talks about obedience, and it's this, obey him completely. Not just instantly or immediately, but completely. And so you don't say, like so much of our culture does today, even parts of the Christian culture today that don't value God's word, you don't say, I'll take this one and not that one. Or I like this command, but I don't like this command. Or I'm going to follow this one, but I'm not going to follow that one. Because God comes to us and he says, I need you to not be partially obedient, because I hate that. I, I want you to be totally obedient. In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, he says, Lord, you gave your orders to be obeyed completely. But in order to do this, in order to obey God completely, you need, I think, to understand two very important truths that seem to be lost in our society today. And the first one is simply this, the God standard of right and wrong has never changed. I know in a postmodern culture where there's no real truth or we think it's fluctuating or it changes, that's hard for us to understand, but God's version of right and wrong has never, ever changed. He gives us truth, absolute truth, that you can stand on always. And so if it was wrong 6,000 years ago, it's still wrong today. If it was right 5,000 years ago, it's still right today. For example, lying was wrong in the Ten Commandments. It's the Eighth Commandment, actually still wrong today. Truth doesn't change. And I know, though, culture changes, and I know popular opinion changes, and I know lots of things changes, but the truth, God says, never changes. It is eternal forever. And what's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong, regardless of what the popular opinion polls say today. And I think that's something, as we grapple with God's truth, the more we trust that truth, the more we'll experience blessing in our life. I think there's a second one, too, that we, that we kind of miss out on, and that's that God has a bigger perspective than we do because I think we think we're really smart, despite all the evidence contrary, right? I think we think we're really smart, but God has a bigger perspective than us. He sees things that you can't see. In fact, trying to see things from God's perspective sometimes is like an ant seeing things from your perspective. Even if he could get up to your height, we've just got bigger eyes. We can see things further. We can understand things differently. Reality is it just doesn't happen. You're not capable of seeing things the way God sees them. And so you need to trust him. Trust that he loves you. Trust that he's for you. Trust that he's working things out for your good. Because it's not your job to decide whether God's law is right or wrong, but to obey it. In fact, as you look through Scripture, the oldest temptation in the Bible isn't lust, and it's not lying, and it's not gluttony. The oldest temptation in the Bible is the temptation to doubt God's word. I mean, if you look back when Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, what did he say? He says, the first temptation was, did God really say not to eat of the fruit of this tree? 
I mean, he said you could have all the other fruit and of all the other trees. Did he really say, don't eat this one? I mean, did he really say that? Every time you're tempted today, it's just another version of the same line that Satan uses on your consciousness. I know the Bible says this, but did God really say, is it really for me? I know the Bible says we're supposed to do this, but does it really apply today in the 21st century? But to entertain, did God really say, is nothing more than to doubt his word, to doubt his truth. And my encouragement is don't let Satan mess with you in that way. It gets you going along paths that aren't helpful. One day there was a man who was ill named Naaman, and he had leprosy. And he went to Elijah, the prophet of God, and he said, I'm a very famous man, but I've got leprosy. Can you help me? Can your God heal me? And Elijah said to him, I'll tell you what, just to show your faith, God wants you to drown yourself or, throw your, or dunk yourself seven times into the Jordan River. And then when you come up the seventh time, you'll be healed. Naaman, at first, he was a, a general in this neighboring country, and he was incensed. He was... He was He's humiliated. He, he, he thought, what in the world? Uh, we have rivers back home. Well, why, why in the world? I thought at least he'd come out, put his hand upon me and do something cool, but he just tells me to go and dunk in a river. And yet Elijah says, yes, it's just humbling, but it's humbling yourself before God. And after some coaxing by one of his servants, Naaman finally agreed, and he went to the river, and he dunked himself seven times. And on the seventh time he came up, he was healed. Somebody once asked in the Bible study, was there something special about the water? No. It was just because he was obedient to God. He had faith and he obeyed God completely, even when he didn't want to. Jesus in the New Testament says that if you trust me in the details of your life, if you are faithful in the little things, it means you trust me and I will reward you with better things in heaven. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful with much, he says. And you'll have greater responsibility and greater rewards and greater joy in heaven. Because incomplete obedience, partial obedience, is not only disobedience. It's based on a lack of trust. And so the Bible says obey God immediately and obey God completely. And then the last part of obedience that is connected with this faith thing is this. You you must obey God joyfully. In Psalm 100, verse 2, the psalmist writes, Obey him gladly. In Psalm 119, verse 16, it says, I enjoy obeying your commands. In Psalm 119, verse 47, I find pleasure in obeying your commands. And a buddy one time, he says, How is it enjoyable to always obey God? Doesn't that suck the fun right out of life, you know? To obey his instructions, to obey his laws. How in the world is that enjoyable? And God actually gives us three reasons why it's enjoyable in Scripture. One of the first ones is simply this. Because you'll have fewer problems in life. You'll still have problems. You'll just have fewer of them. If I follow God's will for my life, that God, the creator of the universe, laid out for me, I'm going to have a whole lot more benefit and a whole lot fewer problems in my life. Again, I'll still have problems. I just won't have all the ones that I create for myself, if that makes sense. It's kind of like when you put together a bicycle, right? And I'll say this even as a guy. It's it's helpful to use the instructions. I find that when I do, I have a lot less parts left up left over over the end you know and that the bike works better and then it takes like a quarter of the time it, it, it reduces my frustration it it gives me more joy in accomplishing something in, in a lesser amount of time all sorts of things are, happen that are positive from that and the same is true with God as you experience less consequence in your life as you follow him and receive more blessing in your life you just enjoy life more it, it, it's a different way of living It's trusting him more and us less. 
There's another thing, too, it talks about. It says, now I also know that I'm going to be rewarded in heaven if I follow him, and I can see all the promises that God has made. And so again, he talks about rewards in heaven. We talked about that earlier. And then he says this, it's enjoyable because we love God. To be honest, at the baseline, I obey God because I love Jesus, right? Because I'm so amazed by what he's done that he would die for me so that I could be with him in heaven. It's when we come to grips with what he's done, right, that we begin to renew ourselves again in this idea of how much we, we are indebted to him, how much we love him for caring for us in that way. And loving God simply means this. It means doing what he says. I'll give you a, an example of that in marriage. The longer you live together, the more you tend to know what offends and grieves your partner. Is that fair? Because when you're first married, especially the guys, they, they don't know any of this, right? They, they just go, hey, you got married, you're good, you know? And, and as you go through, and the longer you're married together, and the more you hang out together, the more you realize what offends and upsets your partner, like blowing your nose at the dinner table or passing gas on the couch or leaving the seat up. You learn what offends your partner. But he, because you love that person, the longer you're married, the less you do those things because you don't want to offend them and you don't want to have the conversations and the arguments that flow out of them because you love them and you don't want to grieve them because you love them. Similarly, when you walk with the Lord as you go through life more and more and you get to know him and his word more and more, you learn too what offends God. You also reminded how good he's been to you and you get to the point where you just don't want to upset him or you don't want to grieve him. And so you legitimately begin to enjoy doing what is good and, and right. You enjoy keeping his commandments and you can get to this place like the psalmist where he says, I love doing this, God. And you do it because you love God. And you know, it's interesting, do you know how God measures your love? It's not by what you say. It's not I love you, I praise you. God can see our heart. He knows if it's true. God measures your love by your obedience because your obedience reflects what it is that you trust, right? If you don't trust him, you don't obey he tests us by how well we follow the directions. Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's how you prove your love. I said earlier, it's better to obey God even with the wrong motivation than to disobey. And if you do, though, if you do obey, even despite your feelings, you'll find the love of God developing more and more and more in your life as you see his ways are the right ways. What we're talking about this morning is one of the basic tenets of Christianity. And it's this, not everybody who claims to be a Christian is one. Not everybody who claims to know Jesus Christ is going to heaven. See, it's always been an issue of trust, of faith, which is thrown, shown through our obedience, which is simply our faith and trust in action. Jesus said this way in Matthew 7, verse 21. He said, not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter heaven. Jesus, this is Jesus talking. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father, and if they trust, believe, in me to save them. Which just leads me to this. See, God, our Father, he knows that we can't be perfect. He gets original sin. That's why he said Jesus. But he wants us to try. It shows our love for him that we try. Jesus knew we couldn't be perfect. He even walked among us and just removed all doubt. And so he loved us enough to go to the cross, to die for us, to rise again, so that when we did try, it would be sufficient. For he says to the repentant, repentant would be one who's trying and failing and grieving over his failure, but trying again. Does that make sense? He says to the repentant, you're forgiven. 
and my grace and my love will always be sufficient for you. I've got you as you walk through life. I will be here for you every second. Continue to trust me. Continue to follow me. And know that when you fall, I'll be there. Great is the love and the grace of our God. You see, God calls and he talks about obedience all the time and he wants us to follow because he cares about us, because he knows it's a better way, because he wants you to experience less pain in your life, because it shows that you trust and that you love him. But he loves us so much that even though he wants that, he recognizes our failure and our inability always to do it. And so he says to those that are sorry, repentant, I will always forgive you. So keep on trying. Keep on believing. Keep on trusting. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. And this whole area of trust is something that we are in a world today are not super good at. We live in a world, too, that seems like truth continually changes. There's always versions. There's always one opinion versus another opinion. And yet, Lord, as we read through your word, let us know that your opinion is the one that matters, that your truth is always truth, that your truth never changes. And Father, let us provide a foundation for us as we walk through life, as we, as we look at life, as we evaluate what is true and what is not. And let us trust that you want what is good for us. And let us trust that you are there. And let us trust because of Jesus. You will always walk with us. We pray that today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen.